Welcome back to Maastricht Law Talk, the 11th episode already, which is uh, crazy. Every year in Ontario, thousands of people are seriously injured in car or slip and fall accidents. Recovery can be overwhelming and for many, a financial nightmare. Sir, drop your weapon, put your hands on your head and get down on the ground. You are going to be placed under arrest. We can help them get the financial compensation they deserve. That preventing a breach of the peace is a legitimate state interest. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. But I'm back with Bram Ackermanns today. Bram, hello. Hi. Uh, you were my first guest on the show. I can't believe it. It's so much time ago already, Benedict. <laughs> um, What did we talk about again in the first episode? What is law? Ah, there you go. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I hope that you don't need a big introduction. Um, well, you're an associate professor here at Maastricht University. Um, but maybe uh, one thing you should talk about is your visiting uh, professorship that you had at the KU Leuven, or are actually still doing at the have, moment. Yeah, actually. Uh, that, I didn't have that one when we last spoke uh, to each other, at least yeah, on the podcast. Uh, exactly, that's uh, new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hold the, the, what's called the Tijdschrift voor Privatzeg, which is uh, the Belgian Flemish Journal of Private Law. Um, and they have a visiting professorship every year. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, every, let's say, every even year, uh, two Dutch academics go to Belgium, and every odd year, two Belgian academics go to the Netherlands. And so I have the honor of, of holding the TPR, TPR visiting professorship at the, at the University of Leuven. What exactly did you do there? I mean, so just I, courses? I teach, I teach a little bit. I okay. do a bit of research. And I, I gave already an inaugural lecture on, on sustainability and property law. Oh, beautiful. So, uh, okay. It's a topic I, 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 we have to talk about today. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very important. Uh, uh. Well, you're an expert on property law. Um, Trying to be. Yeah. <laughs> This is good why we're back uh, with that topic. No, I think we all already said one of the years ago we would come back to property law together. Well, you did write your PhD on property law, um, but now you're also focusing on that professionally within your associate professorship. Um, yeah, let's, let's maybe just start with what we left with during the first episode with animals. Ah, yeah. <laughs> quite, quite controversial directly. Um, Yeah, animals are in most, if not all, legal systems seen as property. Why? Well, as objects of property. I mean, this is the first thing we hit when we talk about property law is that the term property is, is ambiguous. It, it can mean loads mm -hmm. of things. It can mean the objects that we actually own, but sometimes it also means if you say this is your property, and then you also mean that you hold property rights over that. Yeah. Um, but animals are, this is a, it's, it, this is a global movement that all legal systems are asking themselves the question, What is the status of animals? You know, with these slaughterhouse scandals that, <laughs> yeah. that we have everywhere, people becoming more aware of, 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 of the, let's say, the environmental impact of meat eating. You know, if you eat beef um, uh, or, or pork, there's loads of environmental impact and loads of people are considering that. Sustainability. There, yeah, this again, is, of yeah. course, you know, right. this is now my, this is my newest uh, <laughs> hobby horse, as they say. So uh, let's jump on. No, but the, the, apart from that, the, there, you know, uh, uh, domesticated animals, that sounds a little uh, uh, <laughs> uh, clinical to say that, uh, but you know, cats it, and dogs yeah, and mice yeah. and snakes and spiders, you know, my son really wants a spider. Uh, well, uh, no. one of the big ones. <laughs> Not yet, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that, uh, 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 you know, can you really say the, that you own this? Uh, mm. You know, and it, it, it's, as we explore this and as a societal opinion changes on this, there are some that argue, um, yeah, but animals have feelings too. You know, to put it in a, in a, yeah. in, in a nice soundbite, but the animals have feelings too. And the, the, to say that you own them is almost to say, you know, if I can own 
an, an animal, maybe then I should also be able to own another human being, and that we haven't done for centuries. You know, mm. no slavery anymore, and and so it's time these proponents would then argue, you know, to step into the 21st century and to say, okay, so um, you may hold an animal, but let's not call it your ownership anymore. Okay, but it would still deal with property. So we don't go as far as that we would leave the whole property law area. Because then it would be also, I mean, if we come back to the spiders, right? May, well, diff different uh, animals that might be dangerous. I mean, of course, he wouldn't get a dangerous spider, I hope. Well, um, that's well what how wants. would you that's want to regulate That's that? what he wants, the dangerous spider. That, this is the whole thing. Ah, you just tell him. No. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. That's exactly. No, but I mean, jokes aside, I mean, this, there, there are d degrees that you can um, take away and take out objects from the realm of property law. Yeah, um, you could say um, they are still objects, but they are no longer suitable to be, let's say, owned by normal people. Uh, the Romans already did this. They called this res, res extra commercium. Uh, so those objects that are outside of commerce, outside of trade, um, that's a possibility. Or you say um, we don't consider them to be objects at all. And we just say, like we do with human beings, and you can't own another human being, and therefore the rules of property law don't apply to you. That's also possible. But wouldn't that necessarily directly lead to animals being free everywhere, more or less? And then yeah. the, the dangerous animals can't be regulated? Yeah, or, I mean, well, you could say this is for right? domesticated animals. Oh, okay. uh, the, yeah, in, yes. in German law, you have this wonderful, forgive my pronunciation, Benedict, <laughs> uh, this wonderful distinction between Nutztiere and, oh, yeah. and Lusttiere. That's the, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, in, 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 that's in, in tort law, of course. Yeah, so as a cattle that you use yeah. or uh, enjoyment. I mean, you could do that. The Romans did that too, you know, yeah. they had, they had beasts of burden, so to say, and the, uh, uh, and other wild animals. This is, I know this sounds strange, but it's a, it's a very, very relevant discussion as, as property law develops. Um, and as society develops, you know, we, the European Parliament is asking itself questions about robots and artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and whether robots should have legal personality. Um, does that mean you can own robots? And does it mean, you, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, a, I know that's, that, a, that, of, of yeah, course yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what if these become intelligent systems? And what if they become more intelligent than we than are? We you know, <laughs> at what point, yeah. to exaggerate, at what point do they start owning us? Yeah, exactly, right? But then we're probably not in the position anymore to regulate them anymore. Yeah, but this is the area of the law that we are <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. about. I mean, this is the, the uh, uh, to put it very crudely, um, you know, this is mankind's, mankind's power over the rest of the world. You know, this is how we express the power over the rest of the world uh, that we call property or ownership. That's the, that's the core. Perfect transition. A few steps. A very, very... Uh, you know, I have done this before, even if it's only once. <laughs> Why? property law i mean you, you already said and we, we might have talked about that last time i'm not don't remember um but it has to do with the power of us yes. right of, of the people yes what, what exactly why i mean th th this is a very um i mean it's a very simple question but the answer is very very complex because it depends very heavily on what you believe um <laughs> no i'm no and what you believe and what kind of system you function in because the, yeah. the, the, the way, the, let's say the system of society that we have, the economy that we have influences the way in which we see property. Uh, again, two extremes, you know, in a, in a capitalist system, there's a free market economy. And in that free market economy, uh, there's freedom of ownership. Everyone can own. Um, there's free circulation of goods. You, you can, all objects are in circulation and you can transfer them to others and there's freedom of contract. You can yeah. deal and trade um, with anyone that you want. Um, in such a system, ownership and property law is crucial because it's the building blocks of the economy. You can't do, you know, if you can't own, if you can't, well, you don't have to call it ownership. So that's why property is such an easy, loose term. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can't hold entitlement that the law protects, 
um, uh, to a certain thing, then you can't say this is mine. And therefore, you the, the reasoning is you can't give a value to it and therefore pay me a value for it. And we can't trade. Um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In other systems, yeah. you know, the other extreme is communism. Um, and they're nothing. Well, there everything is commonly owned, and so the 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 meaning of property law is very different in these systems. And without going into a whole, uh, you know, treatise on on Marx and and Lenin, and, um, <laughs> well, yeah, but, but, but they're but still property law. Yes, exactly. These but are the, serious property yeah, theories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, if we, you notice when we explain this to our students, always the the when we teach property law, we have to look at legal history quite a lot uh, because property law has been around. It the law of property is about durable relations, so we talk about feudal law and the feudal system mm-hmm. quite a lot. Um, and that's also well, that's strange. People know about the everyone knows about the feudal system because you learn about this in high school <laughs> and you learn that this is a system of government. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also a system of property law. It's the it was the the way in which society was organized on the basis of property um and that parallel you can basically so draw maybe maybe explain that, that still so yeah, the I mean, feudal system of property yeah, so sure. what would we understand? i mean so when william the conqueror i think that's the easy point to start when william the conqueror conquered england yeah um and stepped you know on on, on onto the land he claimed all land in england for himself and basically it's it's a guy stepping out of a ship and saying all land is now mine <laughs> uh, and for me to dispose of and so he started in exchange for loyalty to give land in what we call in tenure. So he started to give property rights, property entitlements to the land um, to others okay. that he would modify himself. So there were no rules. He could make the rules because he was the supreme or the absolute monarch. Um, and so he would say, um, let's say I'm the king and 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 um, I trust you, Benedict, very much. Um, I'm going to give you a big piece of land, um, but I'm demanding an oath of loyalty in exchange and that oath of loyalty of course is that you go to war with me okay so that's the lords maybe yeah i mean but that's property law because you are now bound to me through a personal vow that you have to take because you are oh you are you have a property right on the land (laughs) and so the the, this modern day distinction that we have in in between contract and property personal rights and property rights didn't didn't exist and everything started from the basis of land um that's was that was the most valuable thing in the world it was the most it gave you power it gave um, jurisdiction uh, some lords and uh, those are then called lords so you have a king who gives land to somebody else that's a landlord um and they they would have the right to have, hold their own courts and to decide you know uh, 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 to settle disputes and these kind of things that was all is all part of the game um it's a good example of 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 how property is fundamental to the organization of society it's so fundamental to the organization of society that some hold that you don't even need law to have property these are these okay. people these people are called okay. libertarians um they use john locke uh-huh. <laughs> um, and Locke says, I mean, this is a little, a little political and moral philosophy. But w- wouldn't the lawyers then scream, "Yeah, it's customary well, law"? Well, this is it, it, sometimes, um, but you know, in 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 this is natural law. Yeah, and so yeah, it, yeah, they would basically. they would argue in the old days, not now, but in the old days, they would argue it's your God-given right. So yeah. God has given you <laughs> yourself. I mean, the, the Lockean um, uh, reasoning is as follows: um, um, uh, God has given you you, you own yourself. And therefore, everything that you touch with your labor. So, if you mix your labor with the land, the land becomes yours. That's essentially what he what he says. We don't need any rules for that. We don't need any um, courts for that. We don't need nothing for that. If you mix the land with your labor, the land is yours. And so, but how, how how would you transfer that? I mean, well, just, I mean, that doesn't, someone doesn't, conquers your uh, your property, then it's yours. Sure. No. Then no. Uh, but that idea, then you I mean, have a right, right to defend uh, when it becomes right, yours. Okay. okay. Yeah. 
Because ownership of land comes with with the power of exclusion. That's the mm-hmm. most important power that the owner has is to fence off his land. I'm saying yeah. his because in those days it was only men, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, but to fa- to fence off his land and to kick out everybody. The, the 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 traditional idea that you have if someone trespasses on your land, which is a tort. Um, that you have a shotgun next to your door and you just shoot his brains out. And mm-hmm. yeah, that you don't need any law for. Works That's in some countries. self-help. <laughs> yeah. No, but this yeah. is an example of the libertarian tradition, which is very, very much alive in some states of the United States. So the libertarian idea is, is particularly mm-hmm. in the US, is very alive. Um, because the United States, in the United States, lawyers and also political scientists are debating what is the role of the government in our society. And there are those who want less government and that there are those who want no government. Uh, there's a reason why they have an amendment in the US constitution to say that they have the right to bear arms against the constitution. That's a libertarian <laughs> idea too, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's yeah, crazy for our, from our perspective, yeah. but yeah. it's the same idea. Um, and so uh, the essence of, that's the essence, essence of property and the, the I learned the other day, this is a great anecdote, uh, I think. I learned the other day that Christopher Columbus um, when he uh, discovered America, mm-hmm. um, had a notary with him on the ship. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He had a he notary on the, with the ship, and the notary would his task was to certify that Christopher Columbus landed there and was the first to discover and therefore take the land oh, God, that, um, that, that, for himself. That's a, that's beautiful. It's a little crazy. <laughs> it's a little crazy. Well, within feudalism, um, would the 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 crown fall within the at least civil law virtue of ownership yeah i think so i mean it's still so the to crown this day, owns so everything her she majesty getting... queen elizabeth ii hmm. um is still the owner of all land in 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 the united kingdom yeah um well let's say let's say england and wales because otherwise the scots again you know that scotland is different <laughs> um and so she holds the what we call the supreme title or the domain title which mm-hmm. refers to domin- the latin dominium eh, or domain in french um and therefore, all others hold from the crown, and it's a it's a it's a basic feudal system to in operation today. And Good, so, but it's just it's just leftovers from back in the day. I yeah, mean, I mean it it's modernized. Practical. It yeah, no, there's mm-hmm. no one who needs to go with Queen Elizabeth okay. on a crusade. Okay. I think that's the, uh, and I don't think she has anything to say because, um, when I said these <laughs> these um, these these property entitlements that the king. Uh, William the Conqueror would mm-hmm. give away, um, where he was free to do whatever he wanted. That changed over time. So with the modernization of English law comes standardization of the property rights that you can have. And there's now only two left. You can have a, a, fee a freehold, exactly, okay. the fee simple mm-hmm. freehold, um, or a fee for term of years that we call lease. So a lease of land, okay, or you basically own it, but we don't call that ownership. We then call it freeholder. <laughs> That's a but it's it's a, it's a terminology issue. So yeah, if I were to say I own. Oh, we can talk about the distinguishing between land and uh, movables uh, in, a, in a little bit as well. But let's say I, I own this pen. Would I then in England technically have to say I hold title to this pen? No, only for land. Only for land. And so only for land and the, the, the for, for what we call personal property, that's different in English law. Let's talk about yeah. that in a second. But for yeah. the moment, I mean, for land, um, um, it means that you have to accept there's someone around with has, that has a better title than you, which is Her Majesty. Um, <laughs> okay. And that if all else fails... So if the land falls without owner, it reverts to the crown. That is possible. It becomes crown land. That's I, I think I do remember that from uh, the property law courses that technically speaking, there could be several titles on that land. But yeah. if you have the more recent title, yeah. 
then you're the owner. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well. I mean, you're the owner. <laughs> the, no, no. The you can never be the, the owner. Title. That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah the, my my colleague Bill Swatling from 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 Oxford would then say there is no such thing as ownership in English law, <laughs> because he says there is no revindication. And so in the civil law, revindication <clears throat> is the supreme. It's like a superpower that comes with your status as an owner, mm-hmm. which means you can get the stuff that's you can get your stuff back. Yeah. Or you can stop others from interfering. That's essentially what what the powers of the owner are. You can exclude others. Mm. And if they still interfere, then you can stop their interference. And if if it's a movable object, someone takes it away from you, then you can get it back. Okay. And that you can't. Well, you ha- you can try in English law, but it's much more complex and technically difficult uh, 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 in in the law than it is in civil law systems, where you just say, "Hey, that's mine." If you can prove that you're the owner, mm. which can be problematic. So the 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 English and Welsh system would rather go to the damages area yes. instead of spe- specific performance again. Yes. So the yes, I mean, so if for land, it's a little different because someone doesn't steal your land, but they can try <laughs> to take you off your land. Yeah, and then you can have an injunction to stop that. Um, and there are loads of what the English do that through tort law. So where mm-hmm. where we do it through property law, in the civil law, English lawyers do it through tort law. And so they have all sorts of special torts to protect their property rights. Trespass, we mentioned, is the yeah. is the best example. And so that's usually that means you ask for damages. And sometimes it means you ask for so much damages that you give the other person a choice. Either you pay very, very many damages, uh, so much gold, so to say, um, <laughs> or you... Uh, choose to give it back. Okay. That's called the tort okay. of conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that applies to movable objects in, in, in English law. And so... Let, let's say I either hold or own a piece of land, so depending on the, on the system. Um, but this land, this parcel, is surrounded by six or three other pieces of land. Benedict is now drawing. <laughs> I'm drawing. We are on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, should install my, I actually thought about that. I have a 360 degree camera now. So maybe... Oh, there we go. That's a, a, well, for a, next a time. For next time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, you have one property and it's surrounded by others. It's enclosed, as we enclosed, say. Enclosed, yes. exactly. Um, is still? Am I still not allowed to trespass on the land? Uh, trespass is the wrong word, maybe, right? But like, No, use, trespass is the right word. Use the land of the other yeah. to just get to that street of that I not. really need to go of to. Of course not. If your land is enclosed... Um, in a in a common law in a traditional common law system like English law, then uh, you, you um, to cite my colleague Bill Swatling again, you need to buy a helicopter. <laughs> That's what he then says. And yes, there are sometimes solutions. So sometimes when it's really unfair, mm-hmm. the law will interfere. This is equity that comes in yeah, in English yeah. law, and again the separation. Ha- equity yes, you can have an equitable maybe equitable remedy that forces one of the owners to give you access, but never for free. Okay. Whereas in the civil law, we have no problem of saying, oh, if your land is enclosed, poor you. We're going to help you and we'll, <laughs> we're giving you an emergency route. Okay. That's essentially what we do. Um, but, but that's not property law. That's We say that's not, technically that's not property law, but that's, I don't know, some, some public law interference. But that's a very old-fashioned way to approach that question. What if uh, I am actually the owner of the, the um, agent... Uh, property to that enclosed land i'm okay I, I will grant that person of the enclosed property maybe the right not in the legal sense no i'm just the neighbor just telling yeah, yeah. You're, you're i'm fine with you you're walking. being a good neighbor exactly i'm going to be the good neighbor how can i solve that do i just say okay give the written permission or do i just do it I mean, orally? There, are many, there are many ways to do and that. also yeah but, yeah but let's say that you are the owner that's in between the enclosed bit of land and the and road the, yeah. So the per- the owner of the enclosed bit needs to walk over your land to get to the road. Yeah, and you say, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to help him out. So yep. not to let him buy a helicopter, but let him, 
you know, then there, there, are, there are essentially two ways to do this. You have a contractual way and you have a property law okay. way. In a contractual way, you give permission. But that then is a contract between you and the owner of the enclosed piece of land. And that means it only applies between the two of you, privity of contract. Oh, so, if so I had friends coming over. Then, then it the might not apply, session. but that can yeah. be, of course, be subject sure, to the contractual sure. terms. Yeah. But if you die or if mm. I die or if a new owner comes in, then that contract is practically worthless. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything anymore. At least we can't execute it anymore. And what if we create a certain property right on that parcel? Well, so that's the property solution is that you, you are both owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are both owners and we can burden our right of ownership with other property rights. So with property rights other than ownership. Um, and there are loads of these. Well, not loads of these, but there are a few of these. Um, and one of them is the right of way, which is okay. falls into the category of what we call servitudes or easements in English. Um, and servitudes or easements are the rights that of one, the owner of one piece of land to do something on the right of the other piece of land. That's the English way of saying it. Um, and in the civil law, we say they are duties um, that the owner of one piece of land must tolerate that the owner of another piece of land does something. Yeah. Um, but again, um, we, we didn't talk about that properly yet. So the rights stays with the actual property and not with me, right? Not with the owner. Well, then if you use a property right, then mm-hmm. the, the rules of property law come in. and that's So if I were to die, that right would... Yes, const- that's exactly what you're doing. So yeah, you yeah. then are burdening your right of ownership. So yeah. it's no longer connected to you personally, but it's connected to your property rights. And so when you die, your next of kin and your heirs, they will inherit mm-hmm. that right, that same right with the same burden. That's what property rights do. And this is called the ergo omnis effect. So yeah. they are they apply against the world and therefore they apply against successors in title, um, either by death or by acquisition. You know, if you just buy and acquire the ownership of that piece of land, that also works. Um, you acquire the same, you acquire the same right. Okay, so if I were to um, buy a house, right, should I definitely go to the land register and check whether there is such right on there? Or um, of course no. you should. Yeah, of course you shouldn't should. trust my contractual partner. You should never. <laughs> in, in general, no. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, the, the, the fun thing with property rights, because they have effect against the whole world, is that we have they they have to abide by special rules, and therefore they are generally on the land register. Mm. There are situations where they're not, but let's, you know, let's disregard that. Um, um, they are on the land register. And so if you go and consult the land register, you can do this yourself. Um, but more, let's say, traditional, more normal it is to have a notary do that in, yeah. for you. Um, because that's what the notary does, um, amongst other things. Um, and they will see that there is not only a right of ownership on that land that you want to acquire, hey, you want to buy the house. You're, you don't buy the house, hey, you buy the land in property law. And then the, we everything that is on the land belongs to the land. Um, that's called superficies. So we say hey, in Latin, so the the the, um, the buildings belong to the land, mm-hmm. to the ground. Um, and so when you acquire the ownership of the ground, you then also see that that ownership is burdened with the right of servitude in the example that yeah, we were discussing, yeah. a right of way. Um, and that can be a, a right that someone has to walk over, drive over, uh, fly over. You know, there are loads <laughs> of cases. There are funny cases, you know, where someone has a right of way, um, but then starts an agricultural business and all of a sudden doesn't have to drive a regular car, but this big, you know, Truck. tractor. Mm. Um, does that does that fall under the uh, uh, the agreement that the parties once made? And then once made can be five hundred years ago, huh? Yeah, right. I mean, then a car is already yeah. No, that's uh, so. Pollution, and then, et cetera, right? <laughs> yeah, but then we come to the matter of of interpretation. And then we we draw on contract law. 
no. under law of obligations to do that, except that the methods of interpretation that you use in property law are always the objective methods. Because you can't use a subjective method of interpretation because the decision, the outcome of that of that interpretation doesn't only affect the party specific to the property right, but in, 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 in principle affects everyone else because the, 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 the right that you're interpreting has ergo omnes effect. Uh, and so you have to be careful in your interpretation. And so we use the, um, let's say, more objectified interpretation standards from contract law to interpret okay. the meaning of a property right. Uh, and yeah, if the property right dates from an era where there were no cars and you have already been using it for cars, I would say, yes, it also applies for tractors. <laughs> I don't think that's a, that's a real issue. Yeah. Um, but of course, these issues arise. Um, property law is a beautiful field, Benedict. It's because these issues arise when neighbors fight. Um, you Which know, happens regularly. It happens. Yeah. There's TV shows on this on, in every country. <laughs> um, you know, the, the area of neighbor law, which is a specific area of, of property law um, in French, um, is called uh, trouble de voisinage. It means troubles between neighbors. That's really what the area of neighbor law is, is called. And then it deals with the common wall, you know, the fence between yeah. two pieces of land, particularly in cities. Um the common wall, the height of the walls, if there are trees near to the wall, uh, these rights of way, you know, these kind of things. It's loaded. It's just, it's, a, it's a fun area, a fun little area to to to, to explore. Before we uh, jump yeah. to movables, um, let's maybe stick to property rights on land and especially security and mortgages. So that's something, you know, now that we're talking about selling houses or at least the property, the land and the house on top of it. Um, how does a mortgage or hypothèque, however you want to call it, work? I mean, that's that's something everyone deals with when they buy buy a house. Yeah, but nobody knows the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, not even the bank. Um, I mean, it, it, this is the, the, the another fun thing that I like very much about property law is that it's so versatile. Yeah. And so now we were talking first. We were talking about houses and land and the feudal system, and now all of a sudden we are in the area of banking and and mortgages or or hypothèques. Everything is connected. Well, yeah. In our system, it is, yeah. but in many French-speaking systems, they are separate. And so you have property law, which deals with the rights to use, and then you have security law that deals with mortgages. But it's very, okay. it's very Dutch, okay. uh, German, uh, let's say in that tradition, also a little bit of English uh, tradition in there to to include that into property law. Um, essentially, what you're doing is when you are buying a house, when you're acquiring the ownership of your house, you can burden that right of ownership not only with the right of use, so to allow somebody else to use part of your mm -hmm. property to walk over it, but you can also give to somebody else the right to sell off and transfer the ownership away from you in under certain conditions. That's essentially what a hypothecal mortgage is. So you give to the bank in exchange for money, and not just a bit of money, for a lot of money, You ex um, in exchange for that, um, you give the bank the right to, when you default on your payments, not once, but you know, generally speaking, when you seriously default on your payments, yeah. they will they they may come dispossess you, which means evict you. Mm -hmm. um, so take possession away, the factual control of, of the land away from you. They may um, sell the object to somebody else. They have to do this in an auction at a public sale yeah, because that's yeah. because it's land. Those, those are rules um, and formalities. And then they can transfer the ownership of you uh, of your land away from you without your cooperation. That's the right that you have given to them. Okay. And then the process proceeds of that sale um, compensate hopefully for you um, the outstanding debt that you have because yeah. of the of the money that you borrowed. 
Um, and how would it normally work if I were to sell my house with a hypothetical mortgage on there? Should I, most of the time, do I pay the bank directly off? Or does the second, I mean, technically speaking, it still lays on the property, right? Yes, and so the um, acquirer, what, what, no, it's a good point. The The person who acquires the ownership, so the, the buyer that we call acquirer in, in property law <laughs> terminology, um, the person who buys that, um, um, the buys the la that that own who acquires that ownership, sorry, um, acquires the ownership with your mortgage on it. Yeah. Unless you pay it off before that, um, and you can't because he hasn't paid you the purchase price yet. <laughs> and so you get into a classic standoff position where mm. the buyer says, um, "I am not, um, I am not receiving this ownership, and I'm not paying you until you paid off your mortgage." And the seller says, "Yeah, but I am not handing over my ownership unless you give me the money because otherwise I can't pay off my mortgage." So you will probably seek a contractual solution. And well, there, the, the solution in civil law systems, at least, is called a notary. Yeah, okay. and so the notary here is is really this is the main function of a notary is to be the intermediary, mm -hmm. and so the buyer doesn't pay the purchase price himself. Generally speaking, the bank of the buyer does because <laughs> yeah. the buyer in his <laughs> turn needs to get out a loan and get some mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's also a tricky part because the moment that the buyer loans money from the from his bank. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have ownership to burden with the right of yet. hypothec yet. Oh. And so this is what the notary does. And so we, we, we put our trust in the notary. Yep. And we say, um, the, buyer, the bank of the buyer pays the notary one day or two days in advance of the signing of the deed. Because the signing of the deed and the registration of the deed makes the ownership pass from the um, uh, uh, seller to the buyer. Mm -hmm. um, the seller and trusts the notary basically with the title to the land, so with the, with the ownership. And so what happens is, when the parties appear in front of the notary, they sign the transfer deed, yep. the, what's called the deed of conveyance. So it's a formal document, that's why it's called a deed of conveyance of transfer. They sign, and when they sign, um, basically the, 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 the transfer of the ownership cannot be made undone it hasn't been it, it hasn't been affected yet because registration is still needed um, but they can't get out of it anymore because they've now put their signature there and the notary is there to certify that the signature of the parties is their signature okay that's essentially what the notary does then the notary will pay from his account um <laughs> the money the, oh. the, of the purchase price to the seller but mm -hmm. not to the seller privately, to the bank account of the seller. Yeah, and yeah. that will pay off the mortgage. And then we have a rule in property law that's called assessority, mm -hmm. that um, there's a connection between the right of hypothec and the loan, that if you, the loan is gone, so will the property right. And then so, poof. Okay, okay. The, the old hypothec ceases to exist. <laughs> then the seller gets to leave the notary office, but the buyer has to stay in the room. He's not even allowed to go to the toilet. He has to stay there and sign the mortgage deed first for the okay, for the next for, for his yeah, mortgage, yeah. Oh, and so he wow. doesn't go out until you sign. I tried this when when my <laughs> wife and I bought the house, and I I asked my wife. I said, "Will you do me this favor, pretty pretty please? Will you ask to go to the toilet in between?" And then the notary got very very nervous. It was, it was loads of fun, um, but she was not allowed. Oh God! So that's no, but it's fine. You know, it's one signature. Yeah, um, but there's so much going on, right? Well, I mean, also oh, I, there's one. I'm saying there's one signature, but the notary actually needs to read the text of the deed out loud in the Netherlands. And you can waive that right if you want. So if you have to go to the toilet, for example, <laughs> um, you can waive that right, but formally he has to read it. And so he has to say, at least he has to say, today appeared in front of me, party X, party Y. So basically like a judge pronouncing yes. the judgment. No, but that's, it's a formalistic thing. <laughs> yeah, and we've right. been doing that. So the, the, the formal aspects of a transfer of land we have been doing since Roman times. Mm -hmm. That's really, I mean, in Roman times, of course, there were, well, there were no notaries and it worked a little differently. Um, in Roman times, what they would do, 
I mean, in certain in in one era of Roman law, um, they would take a child um, with them when they transferred the land, and then when the transfer formalities were concluded, they would beat up the child. They would really give it a serious serious beating. And the idea behind that, that's cruel. Huh? I mean, that's, this is insane when you think yeah. about it today. But the idea behind it was that the child would remember the beating for the rest of his life. Oh, so that's and their notary. It's publicity. Oh, God. Uh, you know, it's uh, a little crazy. It and, is, yeah. You know, at some point, the Romans were more civilized and they would take a, a little a bit of earth in a jar mm-hmm. and then they would hand over the earth uh, as, a, <laughs> as a transfer formality. But there are loads of these. Uh, um, uh, uh, there are loads uh, of these uh, stories. Uh, yes. So security rights, I mean, that's... that's, that's um, uh, it's it's a, it's an area on itself. I mean, you, we could do a it's podcast a thing, on, it, yeah. on itself. Yeah. I, I mean, think we should probably move to movables. Yeah, right? that's fine. Um, yeah, good movables uh, property that you can take with you. Things that can move. <laughs> that's basically. Exactly. I mean, they, they they were important in property law for a while. Um, I think they still are, but not as important anymore as they were. I mean, so. In the feudal system, land was the only thing that you could have and was of value, and movable objects were really. I mean, nobody cared. Um, and you had this, maybe you had some some plows, you know, to work the land or or some other sort of machinery. It is only with the industrial revolution, so mass production, that mm-hmm. movables became of value. And then at some point, of course, society developed in such a way that some movables are now more valuable than land. Uh, quick example, oh. airplane engines. Yeah. Uh, so an air, the engine of an airplane, if you would put it on this table, it wouldn't fit. No. But let's say no four way. of these tables, that's more or less an, an engine of a of an airplane. Yeah. Um, so it takes up uh, what shall we say? One, two, three. Let's say eight square meters. <laughs> I don't know how what that is in feet for the listeners. <laughs> right? But eight square meters. Um, you know, the, the value of that uh, is of that airplane engine, which is about twenty million euros, I guess, will be uh, much higher than the you know eight square thing. meters yeah. in on in, in basically almost every place in the world, yeah. maybe except Manhattan or something. But for the rest, it's yeah. and so the, the movables can be very very valuable. And what we didn't have um, were rules of property law to deal with that. And so every system has to de- develop that on its own. And therefore, in English law, where the rules of common law were set. They couldn't change them anymore. They mm-hmm. made a different area of the law. And so you have land law for land and personal property law for what they call personal property, which is another word for movables. Movables. Okay. That they call chattels. Chattels. Chattel. It comes from cattle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah, the yeah, that's yeah. the origin of that <laughs> of that word. Um, we, of course, with our great codifications, French civil code, German civil code. Well, let's not say Dutch civil code as a great codification, but it's pretty good. Um, we we um, we have a, we've had a chance to incorporate this into our property law. Yeah. Um, but it gets us into trouble every now and then because what we do essentially is apply our land law also to movables. Okay, and then if some if a problem comes up, you try to yeah, have we a have spe- different rules specialists for that. Yes, and then, different mm. formalities, um, and sometimes the limited property rights, so the property rights other than ownership, they are different um, for movables than for um, uh, for land. For example, you have pledges as security rights instead of mortgages or hypothecs. Mm-hmm. But no, we 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 said for for the. Um Land, most of the time you have to register it in land registers or whatever national system, but definitely in registers. Um, but okay, this pen in front of me or um, the laptop or whatever it is, I don't have that written down somewhere. No. The government doesn't know that I own this pen. So is it That's just... Ho- a, the, I hope my, not. <laughs> the actual possession, the factual control that I have over that. Yeah. But I can just give you the pen and now you are in Yes, control. and so, so what, what we generally do to make it as the, as the lubricant, as the oil to make the engine <laughs> of, the, of, the, of, the, of the economy go, is we use 
possession as publicity. So the factual control that you have over something as publicity. Uh, and so if you if you give me your pen and now I exercise control over the pen, that's a sign to the outside world that the property relations have changed. Okay. It may not be the case. You may have borrowed yeah. it to me on, on the basis of a contract, but it's a sign to the outside world that they have to be alert and that in terms of law and economics, that they have to incur information costs, that they have to do research to see, mm. you know, what the property relations are So that's are about. a starting point, basically, yes. when you look at property. Yes, so. and some movables are so valuable that we register them. Those are called registered objects. What? Ships, Airplanes. trains, automobiles. Airplanes? No. Airplanes. Also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything with a, with a, with a code. With yeah. a code name, with a <laughs> basically, and uh, cars are also registered, but that's a public law registration. Yeah, and has nothing to do with, prob- no. with the no, property. No, so they are generally speaking normal movables. Yes, unless yeah. it's a very special car. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, but that's. Um, I think a problem that comes up very often with movables is okay. I, I mean, I can see this this pen in front of me now, but I can't. I, I cannot see my World of Warcraft gold or uh, yeah. I mean, so some digital yes on that, the app store when I when I, when I put ten euro on my account so there we go I mean ah. so there's a third category of objects All besides right. land and movables and that's what we call intangibles <clears throat> mm. so things that exist but really do not exist I know that sounds like a contradiction <laughs> but they only exist because we say they exist so, so they the, don't physically exist the money on your bank account are zeros and ones on a server yeah. um, you know the the I always joke when I teach as you know the 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 virtual property that you have in World of Warcraft or, or Second Life or whatever game it is that you play. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kid plays Fortnite. Oh. Um, that's something that all the kids are playing now. That's also <laughs> something where you can accrue virtual property. So it's a virtual world yeah. and you collect weapons. Um, again, this is very relevant um, because it represents a real value. Um, only yesterday, um, the Dutch and the Belgian um, Game of Chance authorities um ruled that oh, FIFA yes. 18 yes. the loot boxes this is a yeah. I know this is this is not really my field yeah. but I know I know enough no, wait, 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 wait. To. You just you go on YouTube and there's obviously YouTubers for, for yeah. every discipline but then you can I know just uh, Mystery Mystery Box I don't know what exactly it's called yeah. but then they just buy for, you know, for five well there's stuff 10, in whatever. there that exactly. represents real yeah. life yeah. Um, value and that we call virtual property hmm. um, and then <laughs> property in the sense of objects and that is something that gets us in trouble, Benedict. Yeah, yeah. Because the pen example that I just gave you, I mean, this is a simple example to explain the difference. The, the pen example you just gave, and you said, um, I have a pen, I give it to you, and therefore the possession transfer. That's that's the formality for transfer of ownership. Mm-hmm. And we say, in Dutch law and German law, um, we say the ownership between the parties transfers if they have a contract to do so, but also if there's an actual delivery. And delivery means handing over of the possession. Yeah. But if I have money on a bank account, and let's say I owe you 25 euros and I transfer the money on my bank account to your bank account, there's no t- delivery happening. There's an administrative deduction on my side. Then the banks deal with each other at the end of the day. And basically what happens is they calculate all the transactions that need to go from my bank to your bank and all the transactions that need to go from your bank to my bank. And those, they set off against each other. Yeah. And then tomorrow, theoretically, they can also do this real time now, eh? but tomorrow, theoretically, they then... Um, there's an administration, administrative adduction to your bank account. <laughs> but where is the transfer of ownership in between? Who owns the money in the meantime? Actually, do you own money on the bank account in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, that may seem like a futile question yeah, because yeah. there's administration and you know you have an app and you can see. But what if the bank goes bankrupt in between? You know, this mm. is a typical question a property lawyer asks. We say this, the, the bankruptcy or insolvency is the, what we say the lachmus test. Uh, it's how you test if a, if a right is really a property right or not. Because if it stands up in insolvency, 
<laughs> it's a property right because uh, that's I beautiful. Mean, if I have a car and you borrow the car, let's say you're a company, mm. um, and you go bankrupt, then I can use that power of revindication again. Get the car back. I huh? get the car back. I get the car out of your insolvent patrimony, back into my patrimony where it belongs, and so I I can neglect. That's the power of property law. I can neglect the insolvency. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the power of ownership, at least. Um, but with virtual property, we don't know. We don't know the answer to that. Yeah. No. I mean, if if I have an MP3 file on my laptop, I can easily just copy that and yeah. send it to you right i yeah. mean the whole blockchain thing maybe solves uh, some uh, some blockchain problems solves so- certain aspects uh, of yeah. that but it's it's still, another episode <laughs> you don't know where the yeah i mean the, you don't you it. don't yeah, know yeah. where the original is you don't know if that's the only version of it mm-hmm. um, i mean ebooks songs indeed but uh, let alone i mean to have an mp3 um in your itunes library is an easy example because the the fun starts when we go for streaming services, of course, because then the MP3 is no longer on your computer and there's no data carrier anymore, basically. And that gets us in all sorts of trouble. And so this um, this gets us to the exciting part of, of, of Property Benedict. We, for 2,500 years, essentially, we've been applying the same rules. So the modern day property law and I'm, this is not um, something nasty when I say this. Many of my colleagues agree with this. Essentially, is applying Roman law. Of course, mm-hmm. modernized and, and society has changed, but the rules are such and are what we say the menu or the catalog of property rights Still is based such. On, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's the same rights. There's yeah. no new rights in there than uh, than the Romans. The had. numerous clauses. The numerous clauses. Yeah. This yeah. is this is. I'm supposed to know something about this. This was a topic of my PhD thesis. <laughs> um, but this we call the closed list. So the numerous yeah. clauses yeah. of 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 property rights. Um, we also sometimes in in property law and economics call that the standardization. Of property rights so the property rights has modular building blocks we say um and so if you want to create build a property relation then you basically go into the lego box and in the lego box there are seven or eight bricks <laughs> and you that's the most clauses and you can build a building but no, you can no. only use those seven or eight bricks together that's what that's essentially the rules of property law and the the analogy with lego is is, is works very well because the rules of property law are then the interface rules it's like the little nods on top of the Lego bricks that decide on how you can Connected. construct them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, unfortunately it's, it's not it's something I made up. This is Professor Henry Smith from Harvard, who is uh, who is ah, the, the genius. I thought this is how you teach your son uh, basic property also, law. Also, <laughs> of course, you know, from when he was born, he was doing property <laughs> law. Um, no, but I mean, in all seriousness, the yeah. the the um, it, it's a very nice <clears throat> metaphor um, because you can combine property rights. Um, limited property rights together uh, and we do so on a on a very large scale uh, quick example in amsterdam or rotterdam or the hague also in maastricht um, much of the land is still owned by the city okay. um, and then they give out the city in l- a long lease which is a property right that w- well we call in compared to property law, we call it amphitoises uh, erfpacht in dutch um, and it's basically uh, it can be perpetual in dutch law which doesn't make any sense but it can be and then that means that you don't own the land, but you still have a house on it. And we just talked about oh, this accession. Yes, yes. And so we need to break this accession too, because mm-hmm. otherwise the house is also owned by the city. Yeah, yeah. And so we use the right of superficies, opstal in Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we break that. And so you then have a combination of amphitoises, superficies, but you need to finance it to buy it. So you have a hypothec. And there we go, hypothec on a superficies, on an amphitoises, on the right of ownership. That's an easy example. <laughs> there can also be an apartment building in between. Yeah. And then, of course, the ownership is split into apartments. Yeah, and then uh, so you have hypothec on apartment rights, on the superficies, on the amphitoises, on the ownership. This is, we can go on. Yeah. This is called stacking. It's a very exciting field. It's very controversial um, because not everyone is convinced it can be done. 
Um, but generally speaking, stacking is part of the game. If you take the analogy, if you believe that property rights are building blocks, like Lego bricks, then you should be allowed to build a building with them. Understood, keeping in mind the interface rules. Mm-hmm. And so you can't combine, for example, every security right together, or you can't combine um, every use right together because some of them are only available for land and some of them are only available for movables. But is there a big movement, I mean, maybe in the Netherlands, maybe Belgium or wherever, to... to um actually change the system to modernize it or is the prevalent opinion still okay let's let's stick to what we have it works no i mean the the property law is in it's a very dynamic field uh, contrary to what many people think and there's loads of reform (laughs) um um, going on um the most recent one is the belgian reform Mm -hmm. it's very exciting um they've changed their security rights security law and they went for a system where you can actually register movables um, oh, okay. And so not every movable, okay. but the movables that you think are worthy of registration because you have a security right on them. All right. And so you can register the security right, but also the, the, the objects on which that security right is supposed to rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very new. We don't really know yet how it works, yeah. but still. And then there's now a, um, a preparation project just presented, um, which was made by two professors um, called Vincent Sagaard from Leuven mm-hmm. and Pascal Lecoq from um, the University of Liège. Uh, and they have together de- uh, 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 developed a draft for complete new property law in the Belgian civil code. And that's, it's state of the art. It's uh, it's very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. And what they are doing is they're opening up the possibilities to combine more of these building blocks, essentially. And so mm-hmm. the building blocks remain and the numerous clauses idea remains, but you're giving room for party autonomy, for for freedom of contract, for the combi- in the combination of these so that you can, you know, that you can do other things like um, volume ownership, for example, 3D ownership that you describe. Th- volume ownership, yeah. what, what is that? Well, I mean, in The Hague, there's a, a ministry building, I think, um, that is constructed above the highway. Oh, okay. And so the question uh, is, if you make that right of superficies yeah. I just talked about, <laughs> yeah. does that start from the ground up? But uh-huh, here the okay. notarial deed says it will only start two meters and let's say 85 centimeters above highway level. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows if that's possible, oh, but oh, it's, that's... we do it anyway. <laughs> um, though that's sometimes, that we sometimes call volume, yeah. volume ownership, yeah. Well, we, we should go back yeah. to um, what we mentioned in the beginning uh, property law and sustainability yeah maybe introduce us to that area yeah i mean this connects to a question that we talked about a little bit um namely that we are also asking ourselves at least some of us are asking ourselves the question what is actually the purpose of property law why do we have property law and there in particularly in the us there is a fantastically large debate um, <laughs> uh, going on now because there are many property theorists there um and there are those that say that basically are what we call utilitarianists. And so they use a utilitarianist theory of welfare maximization. Um, and they these are what we, these are the information costs analysts I just talked to you about. Henry yeah, Smith, uh-huh. for example, that I just mentioned. Uh, Thomas Merrill from Yale. So Smith is from Harvard. Merrill is from Yale. Um, they are the biggest proponents of this information costs type of analysis. And so they see property law as transactions and transactional law. Um, but there are also those... Um, that say, no, but property law is about much more than only welfare maximization. I know that sounds very vague, but this is theory. It's, and it's, it mm-hmm. actually has, it's very important. Um, and among those are Joe Singer um, from Harvard and Gregory Alexander from the University of Cornell. Um, that's in Ithaca in New York. Um, and um, particularly Alexander uses Aristotelian um, oh. theory and Aquinas, so domestic theory. I know this sounds, um, and he's, this is called human flourishing 
theory. Okay. And he says the purpose of the property law, actually the purpose of the law, but particularly property law, is not only to um, make my, enrich myself, but it's actually to mean something, you know, to human flourishing. So to develop myself, but not only myself, but also other members of my community. And so this okay. is very uh-huh. closely connected to the idea of a community. And so uh, he's just brought out a book called Property and Human Flourishing. I'm reading it. I, we are looking <laughs> at it at the moment. Yeah. I'm reading it at the moment and it's brilliant, I have to say. Um, even though I don't agree with everything, but it's it's very inspiring. So, so what does he mean by I mean, that? The thesis that there's of, responsibilities? Uh, the thesis of, pro- of the book is that you owe obligations if you hold property rights. So, it's not only giving you rights to do whatever you want, which is a very I, transactional. I, I do remember from the German constitution where then they refers to eigentum verpflichtet or... Um, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly uh, well, it. So well, the obligation, uh, yeah, property obliges yes. you to... We call those social obligations. Yeah. And so there are certain countries... The, in which lawyers, but they're not they're not generally private law property lawyers, Benedict. They, these are public lawyers, so okay. constitutional lawyers. Yeah, sure. that say <laughs> um, that their you know uh, ownership doesn't only entitle you, but it also obliges. So it also mm. creates duties, and that duty we call a social obligation. There's South American systems, Germany, South Africa, um, which, as you know, is a c- country close to my heart because I studied there. Yeah, um, you know, and I still go there frequent, frequently. Um, and US. Mm. And so what, what Alexander does is he takes that idea of the social obligation, but he explains where it comes from. This is a new theory. He explains where it comes from um, and what it means. And essentially what he does is he defines community. So he says, you have to look at what is your, that social obligation you owe is, is different. Yeah, it's different right. from you and me, even if we own the same thing. Look at your community. And he says, you're responsible um, in that community, of course, for yourself, but also for your development and also for the development of others. And if you are a property owner, you have resources and you have to share those resources or offer parts of those resources um, um, you know, to your community. And that community can be your family. Um, mm-hmm. It can be a religious group or a church. This is a very American mm-hmm. uh, uh, example, I guess. Um, a, a church, but also a city or even a country. Yeah, because it directly rang bells um, in Berlin, but we also have that in London and all the big cities where there's just properties laying empty for yeah. for years um, yeah. because it's it's just value, it's investments, yeah. right? it's capital. That shouldn't um, happen, he says. Yeah, right. So, so then the, oh, you says, would actually have yeah. to give that away to the people to he let says, people Alexander sleep says, there, Yeah, exactly. The, Alexander uh-huh. says the owner is not using, he has an obligation to open up his property in that case no. um, um, to others or do something with it. So it's not an absolute obligation. And sometimes no, he sure, says that sure, obligation sure. is paying taxes. Yeah. So Alexander says, and I disagree with him there, he says, sometimes you just pay taxes, um, for example, to ensure that there's a clean environment for future generations. Hmm. Um, that he calls a general obligation that we all owe to each other and to future generations. But what kind of tax? Is it just property tax yeah. now in general? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And then you pay taxes. But sometimes he says you owe very specific obligations. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to your next of kin, you know, you take care of your neighbor's house when they go on holiday. That's an, a quick, it's an easy example. So will that also include the, sh- oh, okay, who is it? Oh, up north in Groningen, <laughs> uh, the NIM. Um, yeah, so this is so my like, point. And right? this is a point I've defended already Gassed, in, in my in or- Leuven inaugural lecture. Yeah. Um, that's It's going to be published soon. And also in English, it's going to appear in a book that we're that we're doing. So what I say is, listen, sustainability, it's time to wake up. Um, and th- we have these sustainable development goals, um, these UN sustainable development goals. So we need to work on those. And to work on those means that we don't only um, do this, you know, let the state do this, 
um, but we, you, everyone has to contribute. That's yeah, the agreement uh. that we made on, on the UN sustainability goals. But sustainability as such is a much more, it's a much deeper concept that the sustainable development goals are only the, the method by which we come to sustainability. But sustainability is a design principle, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we look at property law from the perspective of sustainability, then we're doing everything wrong. That's basically my my claim. We're doing everything wrong because um, we only look at exclusion. And we say um, the owner may do with his object whatever he pleases. Mm -hmm. And so um, what I try to do is I try to take this idea of these people are called progressive property lawyers. So so Gregory Alexander's human flourishing theory, it's called progressive property law. So I use that and I say, okay, so that must mean that we also owe an obligation to each other um, to treat our property rights in a sustainable manner. And sustainable manner means not exhausting them, but preserving them also for future generations. And so here it comes in the NAM, you know, the North, what is it called? The Nederlandse Aardoliemaatschappij, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, which exactly. is, yeah, it's, yeah. The, the name suggests it yeah, drills yeah. for oil, oil, but it drills for gas. Yeah. And so my argument is they own the land on which they drill. And therefore they owe an obligation a positive obligation towards all the people that live on that land too and the land around them too, um, not to cause earthquakes, mm. not to cause social unrest because that's exactly what's happening. And so I find it astonishing that this 18 billion euros that's now yeah, reserved <laughs> to pay off damages. Yeah, but this yeah, is in, in my theory. more and more. Yeah. yeah, but in my theory, it means you can, this is abuse of rights. Yeah. Um, because what they are, if you, if you conceptualize such a positive obligation connected to the ownership of NAM in this case, uh, but it could be anything. Um, it could also be a bank that abuses its clients with subprime mortgages. That's eh? the same. That is a similar thing. Um, then um, such parties owe each other a positive obligation. Owe, owe a positive obligation to all of us to treat this in a in a much more sustainable and therefore durable um, manner. Which you need property law for, because you might get eventually damages through tort or whatever it is. But yeah. the, the but the positive obligation of property law would then prevent these. Yes. And what you see me doing is breaking the boundaries, therefore, between that public law analysis, the constitutional (laughs) law analysis, and the private law analysis. Uh And what I'm trying to do is to say, together with Alexander, together with Singer, is to say, let's leave this distinction aside between private law and public law. Um, Let's look at the the objective, the the, the end of property. No, sorry, the the goal of property, the objective of property. Alexander calls that property's end. Yeah. uh Um, So not the ending. Um, You know, Let's make that sustainable property law. That's how I how I come to this. And there, it, not only me, there are also others working on that. Um, I mean, one example is uh, I have a colleague in Glasgow um, whose name is Jill Robbie. Um, and she's a lecturer there and she is an expert on water rights and property. Which um, we'll talk about in part yeah, two of this Yeah, I think we're going to talk to her yeah. uh, 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 soon. But this yeah. is, uh, uh, you know, so that's also she can explain uh, 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 what she's working on because it's a, it's a very exciting field, this. Yeah. Bram? Thank you very much. We will definitely, as soon as the book is ready, just get uh, the maybe the public environmental lawyers together and then uh, you guys. And then, Let's hope uh, so. Let's hope so. <laughs> that's, the, that's the aim. Yeah. Bram, thank you very much. Pleasure, Benedict.